3: Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This
4: is Lee Habib, and this is Our American Stories, and we tell stories about everything here on this show, from the arts to sports, And from business to history and everything in between, including your story, send them to ouramericanstories.com. They're some of our favorites. And today, we bring you the story of Kurt Anderson, a man whose life was turned around by a company, and Carla Nugent, one of the founding partners of that company. Here's Robbie with the story. Kurt
1: Anderson's childhood was pretty normal until tragedy struck.
5: 1987, I uh, lost my brother Brian to a motorcycle accident. And then started getting involved with some alcohol and marijuana, it was just, uh, instead of turning it into something positive, I took it the wrong way. I just went downhill from there. And uh, I did manage to stay in school and Get my GED though. Just from there, you know, the the alcohol got worse and worse. And 21 years old, and you know, cocaine and reduced to meth, amphetamines. Was in and out of jail. Didn't really have a good job or anything like that or a career. I was just in and out of restaurants doing short order cook type work. You know, I had met a girl. We had some kids together, and I was pretty much a knucklehead. All through my 30s, she actually ended up leaving me because I was just out of control. I would pay the bills or whatever, but other than that, I was just in my addiction. Started getting felonies and getting in trouble with the law. Caught my first felony in 2002, 2003, somewhere in there, and was given a chance to do probation. Didn't do, do so well at that. Did it for about two months and then uh, kind of went AWOL, so to speak. <laughs> Ended up catching another felony case on felony probation. And they gave me uh, five years ISP, Intense Supervised Probation. I did okay with that for about, not quite a year. Ended up catching another case, which was my third felony. So they sent me to DOC on that one. Department of Corrections. <sighs> 2005, I went to prison, three-year sentence, I was denied for parole. Pretty much did the whole time. So I was released in late 2008. In Colorado, you have a mandatory parole. So I did good on that, completed my parole, was doing okay, was was pretty much cleaning off a meth for, for my whole time on parole. And then uh, once I got off parole, dove right back into my addiction again and caught another felony, 2010, for my fourth, fifth, and sixth felony. They were trying to make it a habitual crime that like enhances your sentence. So I was looking at like 20 years DOC. I was lucky enough for, to get the opportunity to go to Pier 1 It's a therapeutic community. I got to Pier 1 on uh, 9-11-12. They call it your clean day is what they call it when you, the day you enter the program. The graduation percent is only like 11 or 12% of the people that go to that program actually complete it. They uh, pretty much try to reprogram your whole way of thinking. You know, the first six months, you don't have any contact with your family. It's pretty intense they kind of want you to get really in touch with yourself bad decisions that you've made be done with them get them out there talk about it because see that was me i never talked about my problems and oh i don't have a drug problem I, i'm not an alcoholic you know i'm okay and where i'm at you know I mean? the rent's paid there's the food's food's in the fridge but i'm not home for four or five days because i'm out ripping and running you know so yeah they just they want you to really be okay with who you are and where you want to go in your life. After I progressed through the program I got to the part where I could go out and find a job. Immediately went back to the restaurant and I was just like, I don't, I don't want to do this anymore. I just, I don't like it. It reminded me of the old me and then I was blessed enough to meet somebody in the program that had got hired on at Wayfield and said, why don't you go try to be an electrician? They put you through school. It's a great company. And I said, that sounds like a good idea. I think I'll go do that. (laughs) And that's what I went and did in 2014, February, is when I got hired at Wayfield.
6: Carla Nugent is one of the founders
1: and chief business development officer at Wayfield Group one of the top electrical contracting companies in Colorado. At Wayfield, they believe that just because you have a past doesn't mean you can't have a future.
7: Parents come up to me at some of these different events we do and just start crying and, you know, thank you for giving my son an opportunity. Like, he had made these bad decisions, hanging around the wrong people. He's such a good kid, but then when he got out of, you know, his um, sentencing, nobody would give him a job and believe in him. Um, maybe fast food, maybe lawn service, but nobody would look at him as far as a career, and you guys treated him um, as anyone else that you would hire, you know? And weren't cautious about his background, looked at it as, that's a bad decision, now let's move forward and make good decisions. And so those stories are like, wow, we're making a systemic change, right? And sharing those stories, I think, um, is powerful and important. And the thing I've been surprised is when we started to do this years ago. Uh, We thought it's the right thing to do. We didn't know that we'd have high success rate, right? We bring somebody in, we didn't know what to expect. We thought we're gonna believe the best in them, set up a program, move forward, and quickly, these individuals were at a point of like, I've made bad decisions, I'm at a point of accountability, and I'm ready to go and start a career.
4: And you were just listening to Carla Nugent, and she is one of the founding partners of the Wayfield Group, and again, it's one of Colorado's largest electrical contracting companies. And what a heart they have for people! You're also hearing from Kurt Anderson, who was just well. He was lucky. When we come back, more from Carla and Kurt Anderson. Here are our American stories, <music> folks. If you love the great American stories we tell and love America like we do. And we continue here with Our American Stories and the story of Wayfield Group, the Colorado electrical contracting company that finds much of its success in treating people, well, like people. Here's more from Carla Nugent, the woman who helped start Wayfield Group, and Kurt Anderson, a man whose life, Wayfield changed for the good.
7: my passion for nonprofit community, you know, for Christ, and starting Wayfield Group, and that no matter what we did, I wanted to figure out how we could give back to the community. And it was nice, because we were all on the same page on the partnership side, that that's the right thing to do. When we started, um, none of my partners knew Christ, um, did not have that faith, have different stories. And um, so it was neat how they still trusted my dreams and my vision and. My faith and doing the right thing, and um, play it forward now 18 years later. Uh, two of them do know the Lord. But it's just neat to see how God's um, used that, I think, soften their hearts and how we care for our people here at work. And it's become part of our culture now, right? Where we have our values are, are packed P-A-C-T, people, advanced processes, community, and trusted relationships. Everything we do, we make very simple to bring back to that. Uh, We want our employees, we want to be known for that. We're our employees, but also on the customer side, that we're all about our people. And we build really cool projects, but it's our experiences with people that we share our time with. Yeah, I'm not the typical person you probably run into in our industry. We're probably 8% of construction would be um, made up of women. I appreciate, I think, being a woman in our industry and I think I can pull off things that maybe some can't and I can push some of um, the values, people, that heart piece that maybe other construction companies wouldn't even think about. And uh, for me, I want our employees to know that we care about them and value them. And again, it's not about the job, but we're praying for their safety. I pray for the jobs we're pursuing are not just to go get a new, big, shiny, Project and take care of this customer. These are jobs for our families. You know, we provide now for over 600 employees and families. Sometimes in construction, you can get very in an execution mode. We have all of these activities to do on this deadline; has to happen. And um, sometimes the pleasantries can come out of that. And so, how do you keep the human element that we have all these things to execute? But how can I do it where you are valued and you are heard? and um, we're working as a team and we're collaborating instead of just, you know, yell and scream and that's gonna motivate you. You know, looking at it in a different way, like, you know, how do we honor our employees and we're thoughtful in how we treat them and respect them and build them up, train them, invest in them, believe in them. So we do believe we invest in our people, we care for our people, they care for our customers, they make happy clients, it's this whole, you know, cycle. And it's neat to see how God's just blessed those decisions when you look at financially of what are all the things we want to have better benefits than our competition and pay for full health insurance for our employees, pay for all of their training and invest in all these things that we celebrate and giveaways and fun. We're always, there's some employee of the month and we give a ton of stuff away and uh, we want it to be fun to work here and figure out how we connect individuals and challenge them to give back to their community and get in. Enrolled in our different kind of programs we do with charities and make it fun, but have folks think about like, gosh, God's bless me. I'm an electrician at this company and I can get back to my community. There's a charity I can get passionate about. I can give up my time, not just many. And if everybody thought that way, right? What a better community that we'd have, better city that we'd have.
5: I'm so thankful for them for hiring me and putting me through school and teaching me the way, the way to go. I've been blessed to have the people in my life at Wayfield that I have, especially Carla, and Brad, and James, and Pete. Just a bunch of great human beings here. They're like family. If I ever had any problem with anything, I'd, that'd be the first people I'd call. So I know I can rely on them for anything. since day one um, Brad told me that, I don't care what you've done I care about what you want to do where you want to go with your life from this moment forward and I was like wow that's you know you, you get judged a lot based on what you do and whether it's negative or positive you know you just have to make the right choice so yeah I was I was blessed to, to get the interview and get hired and just I said, I'm gonna take this one all the way. You know, uh, being a recovering addict, you know, I was just miserable for years and years and was always unhappy and just. After I got into Pier One, and then I decided I'm not gonna be miserable no more. I'm gonna, I'm gonna live life. And I feel that God wants me to be happy and just enjoy life. But you know, it's easy to be miserable and negative and grumpy and just. I don't want that no more. So I wake up every day and I'm happy just to wake up and have a great future at Wayfield, it's amazing. I actually have seven years clean and over, Most I've ever had in my life since I began my, began my path down that road, so. I'm grateful to Wayfield. I'm, I'm gonna give them 110% every day that I go to work. My dad once told me, if, uh, if you're not early, you're late. So I show up early to work. If they need me to stay late, I stay late. you need me to come in Saturday, I'm coming in Saturday. And that's just how it is. You know, um, I was blessed to give this opportunity to come have a career here. And I'm going to give it my all. So, yeah. I'm going to stay with Wayfield until I retire. (laughs) And then probably until I die. I'm so happy where I'm at in my life. And you know, there's other companies that are out there and you know, you hear that a lot when, when you're in this trade, you know, you see so many faces in construction and, oh, you're still at Wayfield, that's cool, and blah, 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 you should come over. I'm like, I'm okay. I'm making the most money I've ever made in my life. I have a 401k, I, I'm good. I'm buying my house. I don't need more money. I'm happy where I'm at. They pay me perfect, I'm okay. I have no desire to go anywhere else you could offer me twice as much money and I would that's not about the money I'm comfortable in life where I'm at
4: and that's thanks to Wayfield group and great job to Robbie and to Alex for putting this piece together and my goodness it has so many of the elements that we care about here on this show that authentic voice of the small business owner her faith Well, there it is for all to hear, and what she does, and all the good that got done because of her faith. And also, we heard from Kurt Anderson and his voice, and my goodness, his honesty, his stark honesty about his life and how he lived it. And we love when people can come clean like that and talk about the turnaround in their lives. and There is hope in a story like this, and my goodness, it comes from so many different avenues. That peer one program was essential. Without it, well, Kurt couldn't have taken the next step. But then came, well, then came Carla and that hand, that helping hand, and offering this man a job. And by the way, Carla and Wayfield Group have done this in the low hundreds of times, lending a helping hand and a job to these at risk individuals. And my goodness, a job at this company isn't just a JOB, it's hope, it's love. And my goodness, it's so much more. And what a thing for Kurt Anderson to experience was that kind of hope at a time when he needed it most. And last but not least, there were just a couple of things that Kurt said that, well, really, really moved me. I've been blessed to have these people in my lives, he said of Wayfield Group. They're a bunch of great human beings. And for anybody listening who owns a company, runs a business, or runs anything, you got to be asking yourself, is Is that what your people are saying about you? He also said, I'm grateful to be here. I'll give 110% every day. I'll show up early to work. I'll stay late. If they need me on Saturday, I'm there. That's just the way it is. And that's just the way it is. Wayfield Group, their story. Carla Nugent's story. Also, Kurt Anderson's story. Here on Our American Story. OAS today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash OAS BetterHelp help. H E L com slash OAS. If you love
2: sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer, Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris that you won't want to miss playing dirty sports scandals.
4: And we continue with Our American Stories. And now we bring you one of our listeners' stories from the Twin Cities, and that's Minneapolis-St. Paul, where we broadcast on WCCO 830. You've already heard Paul Cotts on the show, and he's back with more stories from his book, Something Happened Today, a collection of the unexpected. The book was initially conceived by Katz's desire to leave something inspiring for his daughters to read. The title is a suggestion to look for a miracle every day and is drawn from personal experience. Here's Paul.
0: I walked Como Lake on a beautiful sunny yet cool and comforting day. On my walks, I invariably see many of the same people. There's this one middle-aged lady with her little dog walking. Usually we just say good morning or say something about aches and pains or how the weather is and move on. At the end of my circle of the lake, which is about 1.6 miles, I was just about to head back to my home about five blocks away. I saw the woman again on the flip side of the lake, and she said, how many times do you go around? I said, "You well, usually only once. I stopped, and she proceeded to tell me that she had four wonderful kids. And before I knew it, she continued to tell me how one of her sons died while rollerblading around the lake, and how she was the one who found him. Can you imagine? In that moment, I felt her pain listened and then asked her about her other three kids and she mentioned how they were all struggling. I said to her, aren't we all struggling? And she proceeded to tell me about her dad and how he was not very religious and didn't believe in community church, but expressed that, quote, if you take care of your family, you're doing God's will. She remarked how she did not feel strong enough sometimes. And I asked her if she knew much about Eleanor Roosevelt. And she said, I'm not that old. Well, we laughed, and I said, you know, I'm not either, but I still found her an amazing source of strength. Now, I'm paraphrasing, but Eleanor said, be like a tea bag. You will only find out how strong you are when you're put in hot water. I remarked to the woman with the dog that it sounded like she has been in her share of her own boiling water. I'm not sure how many of you are familiar with Our Lady of Good Remedy. I was not aware of this affiliation with Mary, the mother of Jesus, until that morning, but I opened some junk mail when I got back home only to find this particular prayer card with bonus mailing labels and other religious relics and such. All that aside, whether you're religious or not, in the prayer card it revealed that we should touch other hearts by, quote, bringing comfort to the afflicted and the lonely, help the poor and the homeless, aid the sick and the suffering. Well, I don't know if this is what happened today in talking with this woman, but she sure reminded me of the gifts I have in my own life and to try and step outside of my own life and into another's when the opportunity presents itself. This opportunity presented itself and hit me right between the eyes. I went in for a morning workout, and I searched for a locker. I put my gear on, and a young guy came up to the locker next to mine, and I said, good morning. He told me to F off. I was a little startled because I was just waking up and trying to get my own motor running. I paused and felt my heart beat faster. This guy was really upset. He was throwing stuff out of his gym bag, not violently, but you could tell something was not right. Before I left, I thought, better not engage him anymore. I gave a backwards glance and noticed the man had tears in his eyes as he sat on the small bench in the locker room. It was very quiet this morning. Something told me not to leave. I turned and said, I hope it gets better, man. He looked up incredulously and proceeded to tell me that he had lost his job, his girlfriend, and he were fighting too much, and his car was a piece of, well, you know, among other things. I had a car like that, too. I sat down and listened, but like everyone else, we have to go do things we do each day. After about 20 minutes and giving a few encouraging words and a smile, I took off to do my own routine. I'm not sure if taking the time with this guy made a difference or not, but it made me realize once again that each of us in our own unique ways has the chance to be here for others on earth. Some of you might think that I'm rambling about seeing the good, but I continue to be enamored of people who are good to others. You're probably thinking that I need to wake up and look around me. Yes, there are individuals who can do some destructive, hurtful things to others, and then there are those who make your day. One individual was Linda, a flight attendant for Delta Airlines, who was present during a flight I was taking from Phoenix back to the Twin Cities. You could see that she enjoyed working with passengers attending to their needs and handling difficult customers with grace and humor. People were given a delicious beverage and their choice of almonds, pretzels, kind bars, or cookies. And you could hear her say it over and over again as she went from row to row, and still maintaining that smile and great disposition. After consuming this light cuisine on my own, I approached the back of the plane to stretch to find Linda sitting in the seat juxtaposed tightly between the two restrooms. I said, Miss, they should let you wear football pads to prevent bruises. I noticed the line forming and the door was grazing her legs and in some cases slamming her each time people went in and out of these compact laboratories. She smiled and said, you know, it comes with the job, but they could have designed these to be more comfortable. Later, she came back to see how all of us were doing, to ensure our flight was enjoyable. When she got to me, she said, That crunch box you ordered earlier was kind of stale, wasn't it? I told her it was just fine, and she confided that she also had one, and the Arizona Air must have dried out the contents. Here are some additional cookies to make up for it, she said, even though I was already satisfied. I thought she was giving me special treatment, but I realized that is how she was with all of the passengers, responding to specific needs and their individual situations. Linda made my day and the other 169 passengers' days, too. Realize that that person in front of you or beside you or at your back puts on their pants one leg at a time. And if you don't wear pants, this story may have little meaning for you. But my point is that we are all human beings, all trying to get by with our own bags of phenomenal attributes, some bad memories and experiences, but so much more to offer each other.
4: And you've been listening to Paul Kotz, and he's a listener from the Twin Cities, where we broadcast on WCCO AM 830. And of course, the Twin Cities are the cities of Minneapolis, in St. Paul, for those of you who are not from that region, Paul's book, Something Happened Today, A Collection of the Unexpected. And by the way, if you've got stories like it, send them our way. They, they don't have to be big. They can be short like this was today. To OurAmericanStories.com, they some of our favorites. Paul Kotz's story here on Our American Stories.
9: Listen to Rappaport's Reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast.
4: This is our American Stories, and we tell stories about just about everything. And here to tell those stories is Andrew Thompson, author of Hair of the Dog, To Paint the Town Red, The Curious Origins of Everyday Sayings, and Fun Phrases. Take it away, Andrew.
6: To beat a hasty retreat means to withdraw or leave quickly, and it has military origins. It began from the battlefields of the 16th century when an army would have a marching band and there'd be a drummer who'd take orders from the commanding officer who he'd be stationed next to. There was a series of orders that the troops knew and the drummer boy would beat them out and then they would hear them and act accordingly. One of the drum beats was known as as the retreat. And at sunset when the rules of engagement dictated that fighting would cease, the soldiers would return to camp and the drummer would beat the retreat and the troops would return. In cases where the battle wasn't going well and the army was losing, the drummer would beat the retreat faster to indicate an urgency to withdraw. To beat around the bush means to avoid coming to the point, and it's a phrase that began in hunting in medieval times. Back then, wealthy noblemen would hunt for pleasure, but they didn't want to put themselves at risk, so they'd employ men to help them. The men's job was to flush out animals from within the brush so that the noblemen could shoot them. Often, the men were sent in to scare out the animals, but when there were dangerous animals hiding, such as wild boar, they would beat around the bush, hitting it with a stick to make a lot of noise in the hope that they would scare out the animals but not actually endanger themselves. The bee's knees is something that is excellent or of the highest quality. And the origins of that phrase relates to how bees carry pollen from their hives. Once the bee has extracted the pollen from the flower, it carefully places it into sacks on the rear of its legs. Many believe that's where the expression came from, from the rich and concentrated pollen found around the bee's knees. The phrase was first used in America in the 1920s, and at that time it was fashionable to use meaningless animal-inspired expressions to mean excellence. There was a lot of them. There was the cat's pyjamas, the snake's hips, the monkey's eyebrows, the eel's ankles, and the bee's knees. Below the belt is an expression that has its origins in boxing. The London Prize Ring rules were drafted in 1743 by a boxer named Jack Broughton, they included not hitting a man when he was down and not hitting any part below the waist. The rules were then updated to the Queensbury Rules of Boxing in 1867, which was a formal code to put an end to dangerous fighting techniques. One of the rules was, and I quote, not to hit an opponent below the level of his trouser belt. And below the belt soon came to be used figuratively to mean any unfair tactic. The best things in sliced bread means an excellent new idea or invention, and it won't surprise you to learn that it came from the bread business. Otto Frederick Roadweeder of Iowa invented the first bread slicing machine in 1928, and it was first used by a company in Missouri with a product called Clean Made Sliced Bread, and it was advertised in the local newspaper as the greatest forward step in the baking industry since bread was wrapped bread was an instant success and other bakeries started using the machine which was advertised heavily and the sliced bread became a talking point throughout the country and developed into the popular expression that is used today between the devil and the deep blue sea which means between two undesirable alternatives is one of many expressions that has nautical origins and one that you would never guess unless you knew a lot about boating it derives from the traditional wooden sailing boats Sailors use hot tar to seal or cork the seams between the planks to prevent leaking. The seam between the two topmost planks was known as the devil seam. It was the longest seam and the closest to the water, so it needed regular sealing. This meant a sailor had to stand on the very edge of the deck or even be suspended over the side. So if there was a sudden gust of wind or a large swell, the sailor could get knocked over the edge and find himself between the devil and the deep blue sea. Between you, me and the lamppost, which means a secret between two people, is one of many expressions that came from the 19th century British writer Charles Dickens. It was in his 1838 book, Nicholas Nickleby, where the expression was first used. Big brother is watching, which means your actions being monitored by the authorities, is an expression that came from the literary world. A lot of people these days, young people, probably think it's from the popular reality television show, but it's actually from George Orwell's 1949 book called 1984. At the time of writing, it was set in the future, and the leader of the totalitarian state in the book, where every citizen's every movement is continually under surveillance by the government, is known as Big Brother. Telescreens were used to monitor the people who were reminded of the slogan, Big Brother is watching you, it being on constant display the bigger they are the harder they fall is another expression that owes its origins to the world of boxing Bob Fitzsimmons was a British heavyweight boxer and he coined the phrase in 1900 he fought Ed Dunkhorst in Brooklyn in New York Known as the human freight car, Dunkhorst was a giant of a man and weighed nearly 400 pounds. Fitzsimmons was not all that big for heavyweight and when he walked into the ring and saw his opponent, all he could say was, the bigger they are, the harder they fall. And Fitzsimmons won the fight by knockout, spawning the expression. To bite the bullet means to bear up in a difficult situation and carry on and it has military origins. Many actually think it comes from the American Civil War when, in the absence of anaesthesia during surgery, a soldier would bite down on a, on a piece of lead bullet to keep themselves from screaming. But the real origin is earlier than that. It's from the Indian Rebellion of 1857. Gun cartridges at the time came in two parts, and to load the bullets, the two parts had to be broken apart, and then the base filled with gunpowder. The Indian soldiers were forced to bite the bullets and separate the two parts, and they had to do this despite the fact that they had to bite into grease made from pigs, which was around the projectile. Pigs being an animal which they considered sacred. The bitter end means the absolute end. And it's another phrase that has a nautical origin. Centuries ago, the anchors of sailing ships were fixed to the decks by solid posts. Those posts were known as bits. The sailor tied a coloured cloth to the end of the anchor rope near the bit so that when the cloth was reached, the men knew that they couldn't let out any more anchor. The small area of rope between the cloth and the bit was called the bit end, which then became known as the bitter end. So when the rope was led out to the bitter end, it meant there was no more rope and the water was too deep. The phrase black market began in medieval England. At the time there were nomadic mercenaries who travelled around selling their fighting skills to the highest bidder, usually noblemen who were raising armies. These men lived solitary lives in the wilderness and their armour was rarely polished and would oxidise into a blackish colour. As a result, they became known as the Black Knights. And for sport, the Black Knights would sometimes compete in jousting matches at country festivals, and the winner would win his opponent's armour and weapons. But rather than carry around two sets of armour, the Black Knights would sell their their spoils back to the loser, who would buy it at a cut-rate price. And this aftermarket became known as the black market. To be blackballed means to be ousted or voted against. And it derives from London's gentlemen's clubs of the 18th century. New applications were assessed by a ruling committee and then put to members for a secret vote. And every existing member of the club had to vote and the votes were cast by placing either a white or a black ball into a container. White balls meant acceptance into the club, black balls meant rejection. One single black ball was enough for the application to fail and nobody ever knew which members were in opposition. To say bless you after someone sneezes is a phrase that has religious origins. In medieval times, it was believed that a sneeze would thrust a person's soul from the body, so God bless you was said to protect the unguarded soul from the devil until the person's body regained it. Another school of thought at the time was that a sneeze was the expulsion of an evil spirit from the body, so the person was blessed in the hope that the evil spirit would not return. The expression became widespread during the Great Plague of London in 1665. Sneezing was thought to be a symptom of the Black Death, so God Bless You was said to try to ward off the disease. A blonde bombshell is a good-looking woman with blonde hair, often a film actress. A lot of people think this expression originated with Marilyn Monroe, but it was actually in the 1930s with a Hollywood actress named Jean Harlow, who was highly popular and had platinum blonde hair. In 1933 she was the lead in a Hollywood film actually called Bombshell and the advertising for the film was lovely, luscious, exotic Jean Harlow as the blonde bombshell of filmdom. By the 1950s in America the the expression was commonplace. The expression blood, sweat and tears which means hard work and effort in difficult conditions originated from John Donne's 1611 poem An Anatomy of the World. But it was Winston Churchill, the British Prime Minister and great orator, that brought the phrase to the people in a speech to Parliament in England in 1940. When speaking of the hardships to come in World War II, he said, I've nothing to offer but blood, toil, tears and sweat.
4: And you're listening to Andrew Thompson and great job on that, as always, by Greg Hengler. And Andrew is the author of Hair of the Dog to Paint the Town Red, The Curious Origins of Everyday Sayings. Here on Our American Story.
2: If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever.